Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm so glad to be here in San Francisco and to get to share my story with all of you. And, uh, you know, the reason I'm here to share my story is because I was chatting with Steve actually about 10 months ago. And I was telling him how I felt that I've made some uh, that probably wrong choices, but that's not the right term. But, um, you know, I feel that I've gone from going from riches into rags by getting into coffee. And he said, oh, you should share your story with some people, and that's why I'm here. So as he was saying in my previous life, I used to work in the financial services industry, and um, I was doing pretty good. I may not look like your, you know, your typical Wall Street douchebag you know, in a Brioni suit and a Hermet tie you know, that walks around the financial district, but that's what I used to do 10 years ago in New York City. And um, for Teachersly, I ended up in El Salvador and seven years ago. And my life took a 180-degree turn. Um, I'm not sure yet if it's for the best or for the worst. Only time will tell. But uh, I like to think that I'm optimistic about it. So um, now my story in coffee started in 2008 when I landed in El Salvador. And my dad has a coffee farm called the Finca Argentina that he inherited from his father. And it's um, about 120 acres. Um, and he wasn't sure what to do with it. So he asked me, and I told him, well, I think there's an opportunity here if it's actually managed like a business and not like a hobby. And um, interestingly enough, you're not going to guess what he told me. There is no money in coffee. Now, it has taken me eight years to convince him otherwise, and I still feel like I haven't gotten around to it because every now and then he still tells me it's like, Shouldn't you be pursuing other opportunities outside of coffee, right? And um, I'm pretty sure most of you have heard comments like that, probably if you're in coffee from friends or family, either a barista that's you know, not making enough money or a roaster that's trying to get uh, the business off the ground and so forth. So you're familiar with it, right, with that feeling. Um, now, I want to take some time to tell you my story from origin. And as coffee enthusiasts and coffee people, it's important to know what's going on at the source, right? at origin. So for a brief moment, I want you to put yourself in my shoes as I want to take you, you know, to origin, to a distant place, and tell you a little bit about what's going on. So picture yourself now in the middle of nowhere, right? surrounded by idyllic views, volcanoes, no cell phone reception, no power. That's what I love about Finca Argentina, and that's what goes on over there. And actually, one of my colleagues from the company that I, I uh, remotely work for is here joining me, and he'll know that, right? I'm hard to reach every time I'm at the farm, like people know. <laughs> uh, so here's where everything begins, right? Farming coffee. So farming coffee, like any business, it ain't that difficult. But it has its challenges, of course. And um, it's important to manage those challenges, right? So. Right now, like Hannah was mentioning on the um, chat earlier today, we currently are facing multiple challenges that seem great to a lot of us. And one is climate change, as she said. So rising temperatures and also changes in rainfall patterns affect the quality of, the, of coffee and also the yields that we can get out to the industry. Um, some of the other things that we are facing is, for example, uh, 
we need to figure out how to handle new pests. So this is a bug that just showed up this year. Nobody had seen it before at the farm, and we were like, okay, what do we do with this, right? Um, also, labor shortages, for example, and low coffee prices can impact how people feel about farming coffee. And um, also, we've had to deal with Roya. And this is a big issue, and it, it, it's, we're still dealing with this. And Roya can wipe production, just like it did with us at our farm in 2013. We lost 90% of our yield, and thus our income, okay? And um, what I want to focus on today is one challenge in coffee that is rarely talked about, yes, it's, I feel extremely important for the future of coffee, is the lack of the interest of a younger generation of coffee growers of getting into coffee farming, okay? And why is that relevant, right? Is, I mean, think about it this way. Traditionally, coffee farmers of means expect their young to go out and get an education and get a professional career, okay? And it makes sense. The financial security from farming coffee, it's just uh, hard to match if you, from a professional job, right? And uh, such thing as a coffee professional, like the term itself, is something that's kind of quite new. It's fairly recent. So uh, as societies have moved away from agrarian communities into urban centers, right? And um, it's just not attractive uh, to be in coffee when you think of the risk-reward and those missed opportunities if you were to work in a professional field. So jobs farming coffee in reality are not sexy. And uh, this young generation of potential coffee growers may not be interested in it. Um, this perspective also is not shared only by farm owners, but also by farm laborers. I mean, think about it. Why would you be under the sun all day in the heat well, you can probably make more money working at an office, right? And I know you, I know for a fact, like people can make more money working out of a factory than they can do working at a coffee farm, okay? You just, you know, that's the reality of it. So I guess by now you're probably thinking why I haven't sold the farm yet, right? And the reality is, well, I don't know, it may happen, who knows? I don't want to, for sure, and the reason I don't is two words, specialty coffee. So, or at least I would say the expectation of specialty coffee and what it means for me. Um, so I feel that specialty coffee helps level the risk-reward scenario between a professional job and farming coffee. I wanna share with you some of the dynamics. So back in 2008, when I started into coffee, um, Basically, we were selling our coffee at the traditional way. And what, what does that mean? It means selling at a C price. C price is the market price for coffee. And as you can see here, it's pretty volatile. What's interesting to me is that 63% of the time over the last 20 years, the price has been, the price has been below $1.50 a pound, right? 80% of the time, it's been under $1.75 a pound. So to me, it's... There are better odds at the roulette table than getting a high price selling your coffee, right? It's a crapshoot. So how profitable it is to farm coffee. Let's say I can sell my coffee at $1.50, right? 
if you think about like my farming costs usually around 85 cents per pound to farm, right? That leaves me 65 cents. And sure, that's not that bad. But then there's also the exporting cost, the milling costs, and processing costs of coffee. That nets you 30, 30 cents per pound, okay? And, uh, you know, let me, let me do the math for you. 30 cents per pound. And now at my farm, I may get 50 tons of coffee green, right, per year. It's not maybe a high yield, but it's not a negligible amount either. I mean, it's a good, decent yield from a farm that we you know, manage actively. That equates to a, around 1,100 pounds um, per year, right? That equals $30,000 a year. $30,000 a year, right? That's 2,500 per month. And think about it this way. That doesn't take into account reinvestment costs, right? So that's not really an income, right? And um, that's what a lot of farmers face. So back in 2010, I just decided, well, it doesn't make sense to be selling coffee and working coffee if we're going to be doing it this way. Um, so I make my first contact in specialty coffee. I didn't do anything special. I'm going to be honest with you. I just grab a sample, put it in a fancy packaging, right? Send it, send it to a bunch of roasters. And one of them actually liked the coffee. And he reached out to me. And we began um, a fruitful relationship that still goes on to this date. Uh, so I basically took a gamble, and it paid off. And um, we've done a lot of things since then. So in the beginning, he bought 20 bags from the farm, just one farm, one type of coffee, 20 bags. Now we have divided the farm into multiple lots so we can sell more types of coffee, right? Then he requested different processing methods. So we went from just having washed coffee to you know your traditional different methods that we're producing, like washed, honeyed, naturals. And we're also doing a lot of experimentation with usually around fermentation and um, an aerobic fermentation, that's, that's the barrel. Uh, and there's some risks every time you do experimentation, but given the relationship that I have, it's good to know that the buyer will buy that coffee irrespective of the output. Even if it's bad, he will still make me whole for it. And granted, there are no big quantities, but it assures me and it helps me, and it helps him because we can ex do experiments together. Um, we've also gone from just having one varietal, let's say bourbon coffee, to multivarietals. So we have at the farm now Pacamaras, we have Pacas, we actually have some Catimor, which are rust-resistant varietals. We have bourbon still. And that has led from just selling 20 bags to actually selling a full container load, right, of different types of coffee because there's more to offer. And... Um, we are actually now to like 21 types of coffee at the farm that we're able to sell. So what does that mean in the long run for me? With that established relationship, I know that I'm able to sell most of my coffee at a set price. Um, I don't have a legal contract. It's just a relationship-based business. And I believe in my word when I give my word out, and so does my buyer. So I'm happy with that, right? And... Um, that means I can sell my coffee upwards of what I was selling it before. Let's say 350. There's some specialty coffee that sells at six bucks, 10 bucks, right? Four bucks. 
uh, mine is 350. Um, now, granted that, sure, cost may be higher, right? Um, uh, let's say $1.50 instead of what I was having before. But when you think about it, right, is you could net $2, right, instead of your 30 cents. So as a professional, I'm understanding those long-term benefits, and that's what's keeping me interested in coffee. You know, is, is uh, building those relationships that can sustain my business in the long run. And um, they're beneficial not only to me, but also to the buyer. I mean, um, the buyer knows he has a steady source of coffee. We both share the risks of yields, which um, he can tell you. It's happened before. Uh, but he rests assured that we have a constant communication going. He knows what to expect ahead of time so we can make plans and actually plan ahead. So it's important for those relationships to exist in coffee. Um, it guarantees the supply in the long run for roasters. There's no, I mean, when Starbucks bought a coffee farm in Costa Rica, I wasn't shocked. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. They need to guarantee their supply, especially what's going on. You all heard from Hannah, the future may not be that bright. So um, with that ability that I have now to at least know that I have my coffee sold and I know what price, that stability that it provides me, we can actually make the investments that we need to to sustain our business and to grow it. And that's the motivation we have to keep investing in coffee. So um, that just keeps helping me improve my business and we are reinvesting constantly on the farm. Um, so what I wanna tell you basically from my experience is um, I believe in the future of coffee. I have good relationships, I have good visibility. It's just managing and actually doing what I enjoy doing most, which is farming. Managing the fields, trying to figure out ways to improve the yields, uh, trying to figure out ways to improve the quality of the output of the product that we're doing. And um, not only coffee, we're doing a, some other crops as well, different things. Um, but what I wanna do here is to encourage all of you to try to develop those relationships because it's gonna benefit you and the producers in the long run. Um, you gotta think who can you support and instead of just trying to get like the same tasty coffee that someone else is trying to get. I mean, think about it. Like there are a lot of farmers out there, unknown maybe, and a roaster goes out, finds that good farmer and develops that relationship, right? And for some reason, this is something I've noticed. I don't know if it may be true or not, like you guys can correct me, but other roasters go after the same coffee and then after the same coffee, which only leads to other farmers not being able to sustain their business, right? And eventually they all go away. And I don't think in the long run, like five, 10 years down the road, it's gonna be beneficial neither for the farmer or the roasters because coffee prices are just gonna increase as there's more demand for just limited supply and consumers are gonna to have to pay more for something that's more expensive too. So wouldn't this be the ideal, right? Everybody having their own relationship and making sure like your supply chain is integrated and you have good visibility in it. And just bringing the question up. So I wanna leave you with some thoughts here um, or with one thought actually. So um, this is a map of Africa and pretty much nobody knew what was there, right? In the 1850s. 
So it took brave people and go in and explore. And within 30 years, they explored it and they actually put on the map lakes, rivers, mountains that nobody knew that were there before. So my question to you is, this is the Coffee Bell map. What farm can you put on the map? What relationship can you build and develop that can help you and the producer in the long run? So that's what I have to tell you guys. Thank you. Wow. Come join us, Ali. Yeah, I was a little nervous, sorry about that. I've never seen you nervous before. That was amazing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we should have more of that in the world. Um, great presentation, Ali. Uh, I love the way that it's not... I don't think that message is just about you. I think that's a message for coffee in general that, you know, it, that, to maintain sustainability in that supply chain, there has to be a, a, a change. Uh, it's not working at the moment. The sea price has been pretty much the sea price for the past 30 years. People are getting paid the same amount for coffee that they were in 1980 as they're getting now. Um, I mean, how is that, from a producer point of view, how is that sustainable? I can't imagine paying the same price for a product from 1980 today. How is well, that sustainable for a farmer? Um, I well, let, let me tell you something. So somebody was telling me in Guatemala they're even worse off than in El Salvador because minimum wage in Guatemala now is $10 a day. It may sound little to you guys. El Salvador, we, we, they just raised it overnight to $9, so about uh, double what it used to be. And the problem is that if you don't get a, a higher price from the product you're selling and your costs keep in, increasing, like I... I talk with, with, about this with my dad all the time. Like when my grandfather was f managing the farm, his costs were like nothing, right? Like really like very low. And the price he was selling the coffee at was very high. So he made good money doing it. But now it's just not there. That's why specialty coffee I think is what uh, a lot of farmers should be targeting. And that's what I tell people. A lot of farmers don't know where to start, right? But you start by just acknowledging that there's the business model that you are operating under is not sustainable in the long run. And you just need to make a change and you just do it, you know? I mean, it's an interesting point you raised there because I arrived in El Salvador last year when that was announced and it was announced very quickly by the government, that salary change, wasn't yeah. it, for the yeah, minimum two weeks, wage? overnight. Can you imagine going to, uh, like you're a coffee shop owner in San Francisco and your barista's minimum wage doubles and you have two weeks notice to fix that within your business? It's just, it seems crazy. It's, and I think we can all agree. Well, it's crazy pick, for People need to pay, pay more to owners, pick. But maybe yeah. not so crazy for baristas. No, but that's the thing is these- No, th actually, I'll tell you something funny. <laughs> oh, I employed, I employed, I, I know my workers, right? I spend time at the farm, I know them by name, I chat with all of them all the time, every time I'm there. And um, I employed 50 people, full time like year round, okay? And when the minimum wage happened, it's like, guys, sorry, we're gonna have to let 20 people go. I can't, just cannot afford it, you know? And, 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 and the other guys, you, you guys need to know you're gonna have to work hard because we need to raise production levels. Mm -hmm. Some of the other people were actually saying like, just employ me, like, I don't care. Just pay me below minimum wage, pay me, pay me what you can, like, I need a job. 
that's what's been going on. It's huh. scary when there's, there's just no job opportunities and people don't know what to do and they're willing to work at whatever price. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I, I stand by my people. I keep the people that I have a good relationship with and I pay them what is fair and what is legit, right? Like, but uh, right. you know what I mean? It's just it's tough. It seems a little short-term... Short uh, it has to be a long-term pro, you know, project, right. doesn't it? It's, it that's, that's a thing. It's, we should um, maybe ask, let the audience... You, yeah, you, I do have a question, yeah. though, if that's sure. cool. Um, I like that you kind of frame a potential solution to the future of coffee being quality development. Like, mm -hmm. that is uh, a passion of mine and something that I think is very um, valuable. But... You know, I think about, personally, as a coffee buyer, I understand, although I don't exactly know what to do with, there is a power imbalance between the person that is paying for something and the person that's selling something. Mm -hmm. So kind of in the future, do you think about how we as a community, any system that we can put in place or how we can um, hold each other accountable for not exploiting that? I, I honestly think it comes down to relationships. Mm -hmm. So. Um, well, I, I do sell my coffee to Steve here for disclosure purposes. Yeah. And since the beginning, we settled on a price, and it's been like, you know, if my costs go up, sure, we, we need to talk about it, but I'm giving you the reason behind it, mm -hmm. right? And similarly, like, if his business has something that affects it, we talk about it as well. Like, like we did with Brexit, for example, last year, and exchange right. rates, and what can we do? Can you help me out in one way? How can you help me out? And, and I, I feel that it's in his best interest to keep me in business, and it's in my best interest to keep him in business. So mm -hmm. it, it's just a very symbiotic relationship. I don't want to charge too much, because if he goes out of business next year, I need to go find someone else to buy that coffee. Mm -hmm. And it's similarly, it works the same way with the buyer. Like, you know, if the producer goes out of business, what do you do? Then yeah. now you need to go find that quality somewhere else so mm -hmm. that's that's kind of how i think about it i don't know if that answered your question no i think it does i mean it's about communication and yeah, then I think so. and more about transparency around real costs and less about the market yes. yeah 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 the market shouldn't have any influence like people talk about the, the prices i'm like sure there's some coffee that gets gets uh, gets sold at c price still but i mean I know what I'm selling my coffee at. Producers talk about that as being a big part of farming, though, that selling commercial coffee helps keep them in business. Has that been your experience? Do you still sell some commercial grade my coffee? My target, so my KPIs, right? Mm -hmm. it's, sorry, it's a business school thing, but my KPIs are like, okay, I need to sell at a minimum 50% of my yield should be specialty at a fixed price, mm -hmm. above three, right? That, mm -hmm. Those are the targets I work under. Uh, some, if, if I have a bad yield on a year, I may sell 90% of my crop that way. Mm -hmm. You know, you're always going to have a certain amount that gets sold at commercial levels because it doesn't meet the quality requirements. Right. But uh, that's what I, I measure myself against, mm -hmm. and that's kind of my goal. Do you think that's specific for El Salvador, or do you think that that's something that, you know, Steve could, when he's in Bolivia, and they're asking about profitability, mm -hmm. that's like a number that can be... It's used tough. for most coffee farmers. Uh, I think so. I think you can. It, it works everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the, the main issue I, I find with, uh, in general, with producers, um, producers just don't think long run or mm -hmm. the long term. 
long term. They, they, they just want the money now, right? It's I have my coffee now, I want my money now, and I want to get as much as I can. So sometimes it's hard to develop those relationships, especially from the buying side. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that needs to change. Like I've done some work with other friends and you know gotten them to come around and it's like, when the prices are high, you don't want to charge more. You just also want to keep the same price you've been charging because mm -hmm. nothing has changed in your business, Yeah. right? So I don't know. It's just all right, thanks for letting me ask a bunch of questions, everyone. Sorry. We should uh, go out to the audience. Uh, yeah. I see a hand there coming across. Hi, thank you for your talk. Um, I'm curious if your neighbors are on board with the same plan. Or like, do you find yourself trying to convince other coffee farmers in El Salvador to see things your way? Um, I, I am every time like I talk to people, I, I mention it to them. Not everybody is on board, and you'll be shocked. Like, there are farms that have better quality than mine, and yet they still sell the, their coffee just commercially. They just don't understand, or they don't like to do the switch. Like, it, it, so I tell them, it's like, what are you doing? You just, you know, you're leaving money on the table. So, but uh, uh, one big issue is that you have an older generation of coffee farmers. And the new generations don't want to get involved. It's just not sexy for them. They don't get it. And these old generation of coffee farmers, they have all these stereotypes or things in their brain that just you know, won't let them see something different. So yeah. What do you think would convince them? Um, well, Steve can tell you that probably, right? I mean, I, I've noticed when, you, when a farmer sees that the buyer comes back to back, after a couple of years and they pay a good price, they get convinced and they're like, okay, well, no, this actually works. I need to start thinking more about my quality, how I pick my coffee, what changes I need to make. And, and that's kind of the, the change is that consistency from the buyers and also like the, they think it takes time for things to sink in and they realize like they can improve. There's also bad experiences out there from buyers um, that can put producers off actually wanting to work in specialty and something certainly seen uh, yeah. we, around where you are too, where buyers have come one year, but they don't, they don't come the next year because they've moved on to the next thing. So uh, we do have one more time for one more question. Would anybody uh, like to ask Ali a question uh, before we wrap up? Um, so I'm assuming when you're talking about the relationship with the buyer, you're talking about direct trade? Oh, um, I don't, yes. I mean, I guess it's direct trade. Like, uh, I sell my coffee direct to, I have two or three, well, depends on the year. I have three, sometimes four, because I have two, one large buyer, another one medium size, and two small buyers. And at the moment, I'm like, okay, this is great, you know? And it's people I enjoy working with, we spend time together. Uh, we work at the farm together. Like they, I put them to work a few times. I'm, I'm bad, <laughs> a bad host, but, but yeah. So it, it is direct trade, and uh, it's not that hard to do actually. That that that's my take. I don't know much about how the exporting goes, so the mill helps me with that. I'm mm -hmm. like, I need this coffee to go to this person. He's buying it at this price. You guys deal with it. So, so do you ever see a future in fair trade or a relationship? So. Like, are you ever worried about buyers leaving and not buying direct from you anymore? And then, you know. So I've had a, I'll tell you a funny story. And, and hopefully there's enough time. But so um, 
a buyer came in um, and we were hanging out and I'm like, hey, you know what, I don't, I don't, I don't have that much coffee, but I can introduce you to this person that does. And let's go to this mill so you can cup this coffee. Maybe you'll find something you like. Let's go to this other place. So at the end of the day, the guy was like, wow, aren't you worried that I'm not going to buy coffee from you? And I'm like, not really, because I do believe in relationships. And kind of like cheesy, that pay forward thing. But, you know, I feel comfortable enough on my coffee and the way I do business that I know you're always going to keep buying from me. And there's no point in me hiding you from other people. Like, I, it can only benefit other people, and to the extent everybody benefits, it's better. And I've, I'm confident, to, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I'm confident enough on the people that I work with to know that they're not gonna leave me out to dry, right? Does that make sense? So. He does put you to work on the farm as well. I can, uh, yeah, I can vouch for that one. <laughs> These hands aren't for picking coffee. Um, Ali, that was an absolutely fantastic presentation. Thank you very much. I'm sure there'll be lots of questions over the break that we're going to have now where people will come up. So please come and say hi to Ali and ask him anything uh, that you want to. But just not about investment banking because that's in the past. And yes. <laughs> please, big round of applause so for Ali Martinez.